Options activity has altered the investment landscape. Get an edge on this massive flow of funds with Tier 1 Alpha's Market Situation Report brought to you by Hedgeye. A daily newsletter of the latest moves in the options market and a weekly webcast featuring myself, Mike Green of Simplify Asset Management, and Tier 1 Alpha's Craig Peterson and David Pegler. Go to hedgeye.com research for more information. Hi, I'm Hedgeye's founder, Keith McCullough. If you like what you hear, you will love our investing research. We bring transparency, accountability, and actionable investing ideas to investors big and small. I'll put our investing process and team up against anyone in the world. Please visit hedgeye.com to subscribe and learn a better way to invest. All right, good morning. We all had a good weekend. Last week, we saw a broadening of the rally. And again, it's a broadening by our definition, not by the old walls. Uh, I write about that in the early look. Don't forget that the the Russell was actually down almost a full percent last week. Again, it's back to neutral trend. And I know some of you are looking at that, but a lot of people are bag holding that. And um, there are a lot of other things that broadened consumer staples up over 2%. You know, MLPs up almost 3%. Shipping, best performing ETF in the world on the week, up 12%. Howard's <laughs> Cannabis, MSOS, up 7%. So again, the process. I'm, so happy I'm happy that Portfolio Solutions is showing people the better way. All, all, all I had to do is actually show them what's in the account. So that uh, that did the job last week, Howard. Good morning. Yeah, gotta love cannabis, Keith. Um, so a couple of things for me this morning. First, Domino's. We took it off the long list. That was the best idea long for us coming into this quarter on the macro headwinds, and that was apparent um, in this quarter. They reported 448 versus 443, but there's a 10 cent gain in there. So I'm going to say they missed by a nickel. Um, the U.S. comps were ahead of estimates. Franchise International missed. The revenues were missed, essentially. Um, so it's just it's clear the the global headwinds are apparent for Domino's. They did show off in the quarter uh, to an extent because they raised the dividend by 24 percent and uh, raised the buyback. So um, momentum is definitely slowing, and this will reverse itself next quarter, right, because comps are slowing in the U.S., so you're going to have the global headwinds persisting, and then you're going to have a slowdown in U.S. sales. So U.S. sales look better this quarter, but that's, you know, going to end, call it, in uh, in a quarter. So uh, to that point, uh, casual dining traffic was down 5.9% month-to-date, so a uh, 590 basis points slowing month-to-date. Quick service also slowed down, uh, down 6.3%. For the month to date, and that's a 376 basis point slowdown month over month. And McDonald's, the better burgers, McDonald's didn't last long, Keith. Down 9.2 percent month to date, and that's uh, still up on a uh, on a two year basis, up 3.6 percent, but slowing 440 basis on the 200 440 basis points. Sorry to trying to get through this quickly on a two year basis, and then Starbucks, the disaster continues, down 17 percent. Uh, month to date and that's a two-year down 310 basis points and slowing month over month so the starbucks disaster continues and then just lastly i'm going to add uh young china to the long bias list uh i know you went through i know china is uh, quad one maybe quad two i forget but if you're more, a little more bullish on quantas on china so this is a macro call for the most part because the first half of this year, they have very difficult uh, top one or pod one uh, comparisons. Up. So the, the comp goes from plus eight uh, in the first quarter to plus 15 in the second quarter. So they're going to be down in the first half. So the Mac, the China macro looks a little better, but when you boil it down to the, the pods um, for young China, we're, we're, it's a second half 2024 story for the pods to look better. And that is it for me. All right. What's going on? All right. Thank you. B. Olsen. Good morning, Keith. I did a scorecard, you know, reviewing the, the 30 plus companies that presented at the Cagney conference last week. In my call at two today, I'm going to go through the outliers of those companies. And I scored these companies on the on the drivers levers and the ability to beat or miss plan which is clearly reflected in their in their uh, pe multiples but it's the change in those scores i think that are going to have a strong influence on on the share performance this year and i think this exercise that of scoring it and we're going to go through it in the call um, helps visualize that 
Um, so we have several position monitor changes today as part of that uh, review, um, preparing for the last you know months of quad four and accelerating inflation for consumer staples. Passing through price increases in CPG is akin to um, like a tanker, right? Uh, there's so much inertia and right now the industry is at zero. So that makes them quite uh, poorly positioned for reaccelerating inflation. So I'm going to go long uh, companies that are the strongest or most improving growth formulas that I think are going to be planned for 2024. Uh, so the new longs for me today are Kirch and Dwight, ticker CHD, Clorox, ticker CLX, um, and Mondelez, ticker MDLZ. On the flip side, we're going to short the weakest companies, uh, weakest growth formulas with a higher propensity for disappointments, including Conagra, ticker CAG, uh, IFF, International Flavors and Fragrances, Hershey, HSY, JM Smucker, SJM, and Kraft Heinz, uh, KHC. So a bunch, bunch of names, and uh, it's too much to kind of go over right now. I'll go over it in the, um, I'd call it too. Well, you know I love getting that many tickers. That's seven tickers, right? CHD, CLX, MD, uh, and Mondelez, MDLZ, right? Yes. Tag, IFF, HSY, and SJM. Yep. Nice. Um, did you know Celsius is now at Jersey Mike's? Right there on the front counter? Yes. Uh, they're, they're actually launching in a couple um, restaurants, that, and Howard talked about that too, integrating the, the threat that poses for Dutch Bros. Um, but yeah, you'll see it, I think, in, in more of those cooler doors in some of these restaurants. It's not just cooler doors. It's right in front of the cash register when no other drink is there. And so yeah, so that one restaurant I guess is doing maybe a little bit different, but that's great. <laughs> they probably think it's a good add-on. Coming to your Dunkin' Donuts soon, Keith. Yeah, I'm checking the channel for you guys. All right, um, thank you. Dunkin' Donuts and Jersey Mike's; those would be staples in the in the hockey community on weekends. All right, we don't we don't live large like everybody else. We we just live. All right. Um, Thank you, Jenks. Good morning, Keith. I got my Dunkin' Donuts right next to me. I wanted to hit on two things today. So we do have some additional earnings coming through, uh, but we have Norwegian tomorrow is a big one for the cruise lines. And then we have some hotel REITs uh, set to report later this week. Uh, And then also there's some online betting or sports betting news that I wanted to hit on. But just uh, ahead of Norwegian, and we're expecting a little bit more of an inline Q4 print. Uh, but we would expect their conference call tone and overall outlook to be bullish, especially on the back of what RCL told us last week, you know, sort of setting the record straight on how strong the wave season is. And in particular, looking to that back half bookings cadence, uh, you know, we had talked about the dynamics of near or closer in, in bookings slowing, but that's more optics because there's less to sell. But the back half and really that elongated booking curve uh, shining through and them actually getting really solid pricing and the bookings backdrop uh, still being very, very positive. So um, we've actually noted that on Norwegian side, it's a name that we, you know, have on our neutral list. Uh, you know, obviously we have RCL and CCL as, as top longs in the space and then in our broader coverage. But, you know, Norwegian's been a laggard over the last year plus. And although we still kind of hold that view, data over really the last three to four weeks has been a lot stronger for them. Not stronger relative to the other two, but just stronger relative to to their existing base. Um, you know, so do think that the, there could be some positive industry read throughs and we'll obviously comment on uh, the print tomorrow ahead of their call. But that's one that's sort of the bigger earnings print that we have uh, looking forward to this week. And then on online sports betting, uh, the great state of Illinois is looking to raise tax dollars. Of course, they are and is coming after the gaming industry this time via uh, sports betting. So. Middle of last week, Governor Pritzker uh, put put out his sort of annual budget uh, and the expected budget deficit as it currently stands is, would be about 900 million. So he's looking to step on the gas and, and actually spend more on a year over year basis, although they're projecting uh, tax receipts are going to be down. So where where do you go to, to, to plug the holes? You go to retail sales, gaming, et cetera. Gaming's a perfect one because they've expanded gaming and they continue to adjust the tax rate. So this is part of the risk of doing business on the gaming side in a state like Illinois. We're always very cautious to not model in too much growth. And admittedly, the state on the sports betting side has performed a lot better than than our expectations. So back to the main point here, though, 
So the governor addressed uh, the assembly on Wednesday, but made no mention of sports betting. And then the budget that they released later in the week actually suggested they're looking to raise an additional $200 million uh, from the sports betting industry by raising the effective tax rate. So right off the top line, uh, raising that tax rate from 15% up to 35%. So obviously that's a big, big increase. Of course, within their calculations, they assume zero degradation in revenue growth and basically are straight lining the, the revenue <laughs> expectation on the growth side across the board. And this, all of a sudden they're going to have an extra 200 million of, uh, of, of tax dollars. Obviously that's ridiculous because what will naturally happen if they do in fact get this through uh, is obviously the operators will ratchet back promo spend, they'll ratchet back their marketing, likely have to fire people uh, to, you know, to obviously reset, uh, you know, their, their, their expectations on, you know, customer LTV to CAC and things like that. So, um, you know, that's, that's the negative on the, on the headline, which is it's obviously going to be a revenue hit and there would be a, a shorter term profitability hit. We estimate be about a 5% EBITDA impact to someone like DraftKings to others. It would be a lot bigger uh, for the year of 2024 and then, and then kind of lessening in the, in the years they're out. So that's the bad, obviously, that there would be uh, a, a hit there. However, I think there's a potential good here because at best, this, you know, this plan for sports betting would only plug a, a small percentage of, of really the deficit that they're they're projecting. So what this potentially does is opens up the state to maybe play ball with the operators and actually legalize online casino, which would be the holy grail. And that's what all these operators are playing for, especially in a mature gaming market like Illinois, where there's a habitual slot player at brick and mortar casinos. Uh, having that online presence would be massive. We see it in Michigan. We see it in Pennsylvania. I've talked about it. There's other states in the iCasino, uh, uh, I guess, news flow has been a lot more active this season than than any of us were expecting. And, you know, maybe this actually sets up the government to, like I had said, play play ball with the operators, because I would expect a significant, a significant lobby from the likes of DraftKings, Flutter, which owns FanDuel, you know, BetMGM, et cetera, to push back on this. And so maybe it's not 35 percent, maybe it whittles down to 25 percent. But I think the operators would in a second say, OK, go to 35 percent, but give us iCasino and, and tax that at 35 percent, because what that would do is you'd go from potentially having EBITDA declines in a market like Illinois to actually close to doubling your EBITDA almost in in year two of, of operation. So it's really interesting. All comes on the heels of DraftKings at the very end of their conference call, uh, uh, what was it, two weeks ago, talking about how they think Illinois could be a dark horse, uh, this sort of legislative session in terms of legalizing iCasino. So maybe it was them having a sense for uh, Governor Pritzker's plans, which was to come out and talk about raising a tax rate on on, on the sports betting side. But either way, there's been a lot more traction and, and discussion of, of Illinois within within iCasino and potential legalization. So uh, we think at some point, Illinois is one of the likely ones to go. Illinois, Indiana, uh, New York looks really likely. And then also Maryland is another one that's popped up of late. Ohio eventually as well. Uh, but um, but anyway, so obviously, I think people maybe would, would naturally gravitate to the negative. But I think uh, as it relates to the operators, they'll be smart. Uh, the impact won't be as bad uh, as, as as people might want to extrapolate here and today. But then the, the big upside uh, opportunity is obviously on, on the casino, which comes at a much higher margin, uh, even with a higher tax rate than does sports betting. So. Interesting things to look at. We'll stay in front of it. I think Illinois is going to be a bigger focus point for us over these next couple of weeks as we uh, you know, watch the headlines and see what what comes out of the uh, uh, you know the negotiation process. But anyway, that's it for us today. No change for for me on the stock. I mean, Illinois, like I said, it's five six percent of revenues at at worst. This would be close to an equal amount of of hit on the EBITDA for the first year. But again, you know, I think there's there's more goodies to come from this. There's probably more good than bad. Got it. And All right. It. Good. Thank you. McGough. Hey, man, you hear me okay? Yep. Okay, great. So we got a lot to talk about this morning. I'll try and be brief. Uh, in our note last night, our Sunday grind, we had 21 call-outs of uh, moves on our idea list and previews for the upcoming week. Um, and as you can guess, our short list continues 
to get shorter, uh, and we continue to pivot more bullish. So Pool Corp, P-O-O-L, that came off of our short list. This is one that pisses me off because we nailed the model with earnings going from 18 bucks down to 13 bucks, and the stock still went up. Uh, so anyway, that's gone. Um, Upbound, which is the old rent-a-center, UPBD is off of our list. That call worked out great. Uh, stock's down about 60% uh, since we shorted it. Uh, there's still probably some consumer credit risk there left, but we're going to book the win and move on. Um, Jeremy is going to touch in a minute on Home Depot and Lowe's. Uh, we move Depot down to our bias list. Lowe's is still a best idea short uh, in their report this this week. But I, I, I just want to touch on a couple of longs. So on the long side, shocker to you, um, we added Beyond B-Y-O-N, to our best idea long list. Um, this is a name I talked about last week, so I won't go through it in great detail again, but this this is basically the company that's going to put Wayfair out of business. Um, this is the old overstock.com. It's been in business for a real long time. They've got a new CEO who's in place there, Marcus Lamonis, and I'm very proud to say we have both Marcus and Mark Cahotis in the studio on Friday. Um, so Marcus is going to go out and do a non-deal roadshow uh, in about two weeks. He's going to hit a number of cities, but if you're a Hedgeye subscriber, you're going to get him first. We actually have him for an hour and a half. You might ask why Mark Cahotis is on this one as well. Mark is the one that actually got him this job. So Mark can very... You know, in Mark's style, he got the old CEO fired because he was doing a terrible job, um, and he got Marcus in 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 place here. So we're going to have a great discussion. I'm really looking forward to it. If you're a subscriber, you have access to it, and I'm I'm just like stepping back, like I'm proud of this. This is like our 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 goal with Hedgeye to like bring like Hedgeye quality research to the people. Um, and now if you're a subscriber um, and if you're not the uh, hedge fund captain of the universe, um, you're going to get access before all the long only and the hedge funds are uh, if you dial in on Friday. So I'm just really looking forward to the call. I'm proud of this one. Um, so it should be a good one. So that one, just to be crystal clear on this, it's behind the paywall, but anyone who's um – up to retail pros of subscribers and and any institutional account, obviously that pays them. That's correct. Right. Can I come up? Can you, you can come on. I could open it up to to Macro Pro. <laughs> uh, no, no, don't do that. Um, okay. <laughs> All right, Jeremy. Who who? Jeremy has a heart attack anytime I give away anything. Um, unlike some people in this world, I'm still a capitalist, but. Um, <laughs> All right, Jay, I want you to take it away on Depot and Lowe's. Yeah, thanks, Brian. So uh, as, as Brian noted, some pivots around the home improvement space. You know, we got some important earnings catalysts last week, which weren't as negative uh, for the stocks as, you know, as the actual numbers I'd argue should have been. But, um, right, so Lowe's is reporting tomorrow. Uh, home Depot reported last week. Uh, and we we're taking Home Depot down to our short bias list. So, you know, the company guided down comps. They're supposed to be negative again this year, negative 1%. But if we look at how the company's sort of framing up the industry risk, uh, their their framework is actually uh, around, you know, continued wallet reversion risk, right? These categories over-consuming, pressure from home turnover and, and higher rates. Um, so that all makes a lot of sense to us. That's, you know, kind of the crux of our call. So they seem to be aware of the of the problems, the the variance would be we think the industry could be down, you know, mid singles to high single digits. Uh, and they're thinking only, you know, down low single digits. So like they think they gain share, which we would agree with. So they're getting to negative one, whereas we think it could be more like, uh, you know, down low singles to down mid singles for HD. So we do have a few points in comp variance um, that gets us below the street. But Home Depot is not over-earning on the margin side. So Lowe's is one where we think there's both the comp risk and some margin uh, deleverage risk. Uh, and if we look at you know Home Depot, you kind of need a lot of multiple pressure to, to get a lot of downside now on the stock. 
especially given this this earnings event just happened. Um, and you know, the rate of change is unlikely to get worse from the sort of current run rate. I don't know if it's going to get a lot better, um, but um, you know, the rate of change has been deteriorating. We're not not sure that's going to be the case here in the coming few quarters. Um, so on the on the low side, right? They still need to guide this uh, this year um, on the print tomorrow. Uh, we do see that deleverage risk for lows. The visits trends, both for lows and Home Depot, remain ugly. They're down, you know, like mid teens year over year on easy compares. Uh, so we're not seeing anything that indicates uh, you know rate of change improving yet, uh, on at least on the visit side. And if it's st- as it stands today, right? Like I think there's this bull case around home turnover picking up you know, Fed cut, what have you, that's going to really be a, a, a bull catalyst for this space. Um, if we were to pick one of them today, Home Depot would probably be the one we'd want to own on like a multi-year basis, uh, a tail basis in terms of their opportunity to, to win share and, and drive, uh, you know, drive earnings upside. So F&D is one where we pivoted, uh, well, didn't really pivot. We shifted it lower just because we've gotten such r- ugly catalysts on the earnings side, but um that stock just keeps going up in terms of the multiple now trading about 60 times when earnings have come down from over three bucks to about a buck 90. Um, so anyway, we're, we're beginning the earnings, earnings catalyst we want. Um, the, the stocks haven't been behaving as, uh, as nicely in terms of where those numbers are going, but uh, a little bit less bearish on the home improvement side with the lows catalyst still to come tomorrow on earnings. And that's all we got. A lot of people uh, trying to get or were along the rate cut bets. And if you bet that in bonds, you got smoked. If you bet it again, last week, the best performing sector style wasn't even tech. It was consumer staples, right? So that's low beta, higher quality, large cap, and uh, lots going on out there, obviously. We're long growth, we're long small cap growth, we're long a lot of different things. But the, um, you know, the concept of a rate uh, cut imminent rate cut we've not been long of, which has been a very good thing to be on the right side of. All right. Um, thank you, <clears throat> Tom. Yeah. Nothing today to Keith. Uh, you know, we exchanged emails yesterday. I'll, I'll follow up on some of that uh, a little bit this morning. That's it. Yeah. My uh, thanks to you guys. My Sundays have never been busier. Uh, we've got the full flush going on. You're going to see, you know, the signal strength products launching, I think this week on single, uh, you know, signal strength stocks. We're going to have position monitors as single uh, item products that you can buy from each sector head. I go through all these now. I've always gone through them all on my own, but now I actually have to go through them every single Sunday in gruesome detail when the analysts are commenting on them. So it means I actually have to read some words from them, which takes longer than just looking at the numbers. So thanks, Tom, for putting some freaking words in my my inbox to color up some of these ideas. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, you have to hear the words and read them. Um, it just takes me less time to not read uh, words. If I read words, I read books. All right. Uh, thank you, Emily. I'm all set today, too, Keith. Thanks. Hey, you see the um, social <clears> – sorry, I got a bit of a cold here um, – you see the um, social media component of what you called a while ago picking up here on, I think it was, I mean, it was, I was watching while I was working, I had PGA golf on and, you know, they kept, you know, promoting, I guess, whatever was going to be on next, which is some, these, uh, these, these um, weight loss drugs may not be good for you segment. Um, I don't know if you saw that yesterday. Yeah. Well, last week um, I didn't see the segment, but um Last week there was a, a uh, I don't I don't know the actual what actually was released whether it was a a peer reviewed journal or or a insurance company just talking about it I have, have to go back and look but but yeah la- last week there was a a bit of you know discussion about the stomach paralysis issue um, and which is the you know, one of the tricks with Ozempic or Wegovy is is that it doesn't it makes you not want to eat. And in part of the trick with that is is for your stomach to just move much much more slowly than uh, it otherwise would, and you you feel really full. 
this personally sounds disgusting to me, but, <laughs> but that's kind of how it works. Um, and, uh, and you know, who's really been talking a lot about it has been the insurance companies, um, you know, saying this, we're seeing lots of, you know, negatives uh, from this drug. And, and, and I, I think that, I mean, that was, that's entirely predictable, right? We had Fenfen that was bad for your heart. And now we've got Wegovy that's bad for your, your stomach. Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Hope you're enjoying our podcast. Start generating alpha with our suite of Sector Pro investing research products. Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actual ideas on Wall Street. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Not lost on people in the real world. I'm not going to get into it, but, you know, I did a, let's just say a comprehensive annual physical review as I do uh, last week. And I got into it with one of the physicians about this and he's like, dude, just uh, actually he's the second one to tell me this. And these are you know, guys that are, they're both guys uh, They could, they don't have to be, but um, in, in this case uh, they were, and both said, just you know, let other people do it and see what the after effects are. <laughs> we don't, don't trust it. Um, neither of them trust it. Uh, they think that it's, it's uh, as uh, I think they say, and maybe in Goodwill Hunting, you suspect. <laughs> yeah, my doctor said the same thing, and one of the one of the issues that he raised, which is you know the the quality of the production of the drug, uh, might be part of the problem. And th- this is actually true. I, you know, one of the questions about the the COVID vaccines is it you know is it the technology itself or is it the 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 manufacturing um, quality, which is is not crazy, you know the, the this country is very dependent on imports for drug manufacture, and you know as things kind of fall apart abroad, um, that that becomes more risky. It's kind of the nature of things. Yeah. All right. Stay tuned. All I need is a cell signal on Lily or on. Novo, I don't have that yet. People are still chasing those. The machine is still chasing those, which forces people to chase those. Is the correct way to have said that. Apologies for the misstatement this early in the week. I should never say it that way. All right, um, Steinbaum, are you back? Hey Keith, no, it's uh, it's me again this morning. Um, Josh is back tomorrow. Um, we we don't got much going on today either. Just wanted to. Um, plug our um, black book this Thursday. We're going to be doing kind of a a refresh uh, call on the consumer finance, particularly uh, the card lending space, you know, in light of the uh, CFPB ruling on late fees that's around the corner and just on the heels of this big uh, discover capital one deal, you know, we'll be talking the consumer household financial health, you know, both slants of the K the up and the down um, and, uh, what we think the trajectory is for delinquencies and charge offs, you know, over the next 12 months here. So we're, uh, we're, uh, you know, pounding the rock on that. And, uh, that's what we got this week. You know, I had that, uh, I got it twice, not three times, but twice. And they're both from institutional clients, uh, questions. And by the way, we have plenty of institutional clients uh, to my point here on the call every morning and asking about the K that Drago keeps talking about. And, um, you say it in passing, but um, not everybody knows what that is. Can you can you uh, just take you know ninety seconds to explain what that is? Sure. Um, so I guess it's the you know the segment of households that don't you know have the excess liquidity or asset ownership to benefit from you know five percent nominal rates and instead have to pay that cost of credit. Um, if they can access it at all. And then on top of that, uh, the segment whose, you know, wages uh, are nominally are failing to keep pace or have failed to keep pace with inflation. And they have therefore been under this sort of cumulative, um, you know, weight of inflation that we've had here over the last, you know, the bulk of the last three years. Um, And while we have disinflation, that's true, you know, uh, disinflation off of, you know, prices going up less fast um, 
or not as much off of elevated levels, you know, that typically is uh, not a tremendous source of relief for that sort of bottom, um, you know, slant to the K and, and just sort of, you know, colloquially, you can just reduce it to, you know, the haves and the have nots, right? Or these days, you know, the, the, the have yachts and the have nots, right? Um, so that's my yeah. understanding of it. And you, you know, you, I think you're the, uh, the originator of the term. So you let me know if I, uh, if I got that right. Yeah, you got that dead right. And I always say the, the K-shaped economy doesn't stand for Keith. It stands for, and just think of, just think of it like, and again, I'm not trying to big time anybody. Use somebody who's just maybe not big time, but has 3 million bucks in savings, right? Um, that would not qualify you, Drago. Uh, I mean, you can you can put that in in decile of richness in this country, but you need more than three million bucks to get into the top one percent. Let's just say that. OK, now let's say that you've worked your butt off for 30 years and you have three million in savings and you're smart enough to put, um, you know, three million in savings into a four and a half percent yielding annual you know, thing. Now, now, all of a sudden you're making I think the math would be something uh, between 130 and 140 grand in interest that you get a year. Right now, whereas like two thirds of the country has zero to earn anything on and is to Jago's point paying. So that this is like the K becomes even more skewed as you go further out in time. Now, it's it's great for all of us, most of us on this call who understand the value of a dollar and what your where your hard earned capital should be diversified in place. I mean, that's the whole point of portfolio solutions. People are like, well, why do you have like three different ways to own like, you know, risk free money? And it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, um, it's just in addition to the fact that, you know, we have a lot of RAs, family, more RAs, not family offices. Family offices are are allowed to do whatever they damn well please in most cases. But RAs are like, look, I can't own FDRXX. So, you know, so like we gave them three different ways to do it, right? I mean, it's 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 a it's a material thing, uh, and it's and it's something that's making it worse, not making it better. All right, so uh, that is that. I don't know if you want to color up any commentary I had with some statistics, but I think you nailed it. I think the qualitative is, uh, you know, perfectly sufficient here. Brings it yeah. home. I, I think a doctor uh, and or a dentist would be obviously a high paying job in this country could work their whole life to have three to five million clear in in savings by the time 30 to 50 years is, is all said and done. So, you know, again, we're not trying to say anything other than what America's become. All right. Um, thanks. Oh, listen, you hear that? You hear Boomer? Boomer just signed off on that message. There we go. Uh, Rob's on a client call. Actually, he's getting ready for his pre-IPO book. That's what he's doing. Um, okay. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Agile. Join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for deep dive investing analysis, our favorite stock ideas, and our risk manager in chief, Keith McCullough's macro overlay. Our team of 40 plus equity analysts discuss key market developments, trends, and our high conviction, long and short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe and tune in live to the call weekdays at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Hey, Keith. Um, we're in uh, London this week, uh, but we have uh, nothing, nothing today. You got the look on being in London there, Talbot? <laughs> no, uh, I actually didn't travel over with them. No. So it's actually not we. I was going <laughs> to. Yeah. But Barbara's over there, uh, I think. So that's good. And get a lot of good client feedback there. <clears throat> Friedman. Hey, Keith, you got me today. Um, just uh, going to hit on a few position monitor notes that we made um, over the weekend. We sent that note out this morning, but um, in terms of the changes that we made, we moved Frontier Fiber, uh, FYBR, uh, to a number three active long from number seven. Uh, they had a strong earnings report uh, with fiber broadband net ads uh, growing uh, in line with the rest of the year. Um, 
and their fiber ARPU actually accelerating to close to 5% year-over-year growth, well, which bodes really well because uh, monetization was a concern that had been uh, cropping up for them. Um, but, uh, you know, the broadband net ads, um, the ARPU growth, uh, as well as a strong guide for EBITDA and uh, further ARPU growth in 2024. Stock was up there, so we just moved it up from number seven to number three on our active long list. Um, on top of that, we moved uh, TKO uh, from our number four to our number five active long. Uh, and that was a byproduct of just moving fiber up to number three. Uh, it wasn't uh, a call in the quarter, even though they have earnings this week. Um, so we're keeping it there. We still like TKO there. Uh, and then we added Reddit and uh, Sphere to our research bullpens. So doing more research on both of those tickers. Uh, Reddit dropped their S1 last week, as we've been talking about. Um, so we'll be going through that and uh, hopefully... Um, you know, get some notes done, get our model done, and uh, you know, build out our build out our work there on the internet name. But yeah, just a couple of changes on the position monitor. Looking forward to uh, the last week of earnings here. Good. All right, lots of tickers floating around in my notebook. They're not floating; they're actually specifically inserted in a position in the notebook that I like to put them in. All right, thank you, uh, Nick. Yeah. Hey, Keith, we're all set today. We're just uh, the software team's just working on expanding coverage this, the next couple of weeks uh, for our position monitor. So uh, that's all I got for you today. Yeah, I want that beefed up, baby. Oh, yeah. Show me the meat. Where is it? The yeah, ho beef? Hopefully, yeah the hopefully we'll get you some tickers here in the next couple of weeks or week, yeah, next week or so. I, you know, it's like a cow grazing in Thunder Bay, Ontario in the middle of February, that list right now. You got to get it to beefed up show me the beef all right uh felix <clears throat> hey keith uh <clears throat> let me mention pindodor so shares are down after the information mentioned a few u.s politicians looking to ban timu based on forced labor concerns you know politics will always surround names like timu xian and tiktok with Timu, you know, these allegations were made last year and the year before. So I'm not as concerned as the market. Politics take a while to play out. Meanwhile, it's important to note that new Timu users are surging in places like Korea, Japan, UK, and other countries around the world. Um, it's also important to note that Timu still accounts for only a single digit contribution to PDD's GMV. Another way of saying that is PDD's business remains concentrated in China. So, uh, you know, I remain long PDD, especially after a good spring festival data, but it's not a top line at the moment. But I wanted to raise that because it got some media attention. That's it. Well, Timu, I didn't even, first of all, I didn't even know that. I mean, it, it's, it's, so what, what percentage is it of, of uh, PDD's revenues and or, and or cash flow? Uh, as a percent of top line, it's probably around uh, high single digits at the moment. Okay. And it, is, is it, yeah. I mean, if you, if you were to pull that out, would it be like a huge IPO or what? I mean, that, that they're now famous for the Super Bowl ads, or at least for, for now. Yeah, I highly doubt they're in a stage to do an IPO because they don't need cash. The the parent PDD, parent Pindodor Corporation, they have plenty, billions and billions of money to subsidize their overseas arm team. So, uh, you know, IPO plans are not in the near future. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to politics. There's a lot of Chinese global tech giants, they want to, you know, they want to IPO in the U.S., but they have to get approval from both China and the U.S. side, and both sides are reluctant. So, you know, that's type of the landscape that we play in today. Um, but I, I just wanted to say, like, even though Timo is hurting shares, it's important to put this into perspective. It's still a mainland China type of, you know, business that's driving their overall business. Timo's subsidy was only single digits in terms of GMV. Yeah, mainland China is what I was going to ask you about as well. I mean, now we're back-to-back -back days. Uh, it's, a, you know, it's, it's a 
that's the beauty of the process. It's fractal in nature, and fractals are beautiful, uh, at least according to me and anybody who likes nature. Um, you know, like the contours of an ocean line, something like that. Um, the edges of a leaf. Uh, so when something goes from undergoes a phase transition, whether it be a caterpillar to a butterfly or China as a factor exposure in my case, um, yeah, that's a big thing, right? It took like over two years for this to happen. Now, one, I'll keep you, I'll keep you posted. That's that's the job if if it confirms. But if it confirms that we go from mainland Shanghai Composite, Shenzhen, etc., KWeb two, they're all the same pattern. Um, goes from bearish, pervasively bearish, as you know, to bullish, like, and that becomes like an index bet. That's going to really start to change, like. What you've done really well is you've picked the PDDs and the MNSOs out of the pile when the index got sold And you said this, I mean, if they're along China, they're all along the same stocks. Uh, well, now those stocks, by and large, if this continues to signal bullish trend, even if you don't like them, the machine's going to like them. You see what I'm saying? Alibaba would be the, the main one. Yeah. Um... I'm encouraged to hear that, Keith. Uh, hopefully, that'll make my job a little bit easier, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely keep us updated on the signals there. I mean, hopefully, China. I mean, China's still, in my opinion, a little bit wobbly. But if it can sustain a rally here, um, it will be nice to see. Yeah, it's it's that's the right word to use because it has like its quad outlook or what I call the quad count is quad four here in Q1. Then quad two, which would put the bottom in in Q1, quad two and Q2, but then back to quad four and Q3. So it's going to be a tough one to navigate. Um, less tough if you just stay signal based and uh, not noise driven. So I, th I think that that's going to be obviously something to to stay with. And I, and I can see it like you know whether it be through Jenkins, you know, long these are names you used to model and cover, but. LVS or win. I mean, these signals are all bullish because the China factor component is gone bullish. So after being bearish for a long, long time, so you're going to get more and more on that. Um, unless you had another, any other comments on that, I had one other question for you. Uh, no. Go ahead. So Apple on like, you know, you, you always, you always say like, yeah, I don't care about Apple going up, but the market's going up. But, you know, the market went vertical last week and Apple went down. I mean, it, it, it's it, that thing was awful. I mean, on Friday, I don't know if you saw my top three things this morning, but I call it the Mag 5 now because you have the terrible two. Uh, the terrible two includes Apple and Tesla. The, Of course, CNBC will never call it the terrible two, so, you know, maybe eventually we'll have to see about that. But you know, the this thing, like, what the hell is going on with that stock on, on Thursday and Friday? I mean, it was 9% of the negative momentum in the S&P 500 on Friday alone. Yeah, well, uh, it's, it's a good thing we put out a, um, a client call updating folks on the latest that we're seeing from Apple on the data side. And data just absolutely looks awful. Uh, again, I would just say it's not just the China story that's hurting Apple. Yes, it's the most major obstacle, but... Europe, U.S., you know, not you're not going to see NVIDIA numbers from Apple. Let's, let's, let's put it this, this way. And they're trading at 30 times for PE on zero growth. Uh, so it, it, to me, Apple is a bubble, but nobody says it, right? Everyone's focused on, on the semiconductors because they just don't go down. And the multiples expand, but Apple to me is a big bubble on valuation and on a lot of, a lot of different other things. But uh, yeah, it's a good thing that you called that out, Keith, because we just hosted a client call last week on this, um, and this, as you can see by the stock reaction, it just keeps going down. That's good for us. That's for short. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Of course, it's good for us. That's why I'm talking it, talking about it. The um, Mag Five, you know, instead of Mag Mag Seven, the um. The, the terrible data, too, is that like when you say it's not just China, you've had this differentiated view on Microsoft PC revival versus versus Apple, you know, desktop, et cetera, et cetera. Is that are we getting real time updates on that or is that something that you get yeah. less, less? 
Okay. Yeah, we, we, yeah, I have some data sets on that as well that I sh share with clients. Uh, look, adoption, as long as the AI um, adoption continues and then Microsoft and Microsoft's partners puts out AI computers, probably by the summer of this year or so. And I mean, some are already out, but there's more coming. Um, I'm actually more excited on the chip side with what, what they could do with the ARM-based chips once Microsoft's exclusivity agreement with Qualcomm ends at some point later this year. I mean, that's going to bring up more and more competition for the MacBook potentially longer term and short term. So, yeah, look, again, this is not, I'll say it again, this is not just a China headwind for Apple. Everyone paints it that way. But Apple has a lot on their mind in terms of trying to catch up. One thing they're really behind on is AI. There's been a lot of different type of announcements last couple of weeks on, you know, what it, Apple could do with uh, their um, iPhone 16 and then their the new software update on 18. I don't know. I mean, all the rumors that have been put, put uh, that's been actually publicly disclosed. We talked about this in January. So they have yet to surprise me on what potentially they could do on AI. In the meantime, Apple is not an AI company. I can tell you 25 other names that are also AI companies. Apple's not one of them. Well, at least right this, this is what like a major Apple holder, you know, texted me. He already, I should say, already emailed me back, right? Like when I put it mag five in the top three, and that's pretty broad institutional distribution to our clients. You know, it's like, well, his answer back is just like, no, it's just because they don't have that AI component in the multiple and, and, and Tesla too. And I'm like, no, it, they have zero growth. That's the difference. And they don't have AI. And that's why they have zero growth. Yeah, so it's like, it, it's, it's amazing how people, you know, they'll never, some of these long onlys will never sell their Apple, right? Like, and, and they'll just go to the next narrative. But this is, you know, your research on this name is not only right and, and very well-timed, uh, but it's differentiated, like to the extent that, like if you're really like a top one page holder in Apple and you're not talking objectively about what Felix is calling out here, sorry, man, but you're not doing your job. Like you're just not, you know, at least the way I define the job. If I was your boss, I wouldn't allow that, right? We can't just like ignore, I, I think the latest thing in social media is like, well, that here's my hard, here's my truth. People like to say now, well, your truth is false. Uh, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just, uh, I think this is, this is just going to be a great uh, experiment in social behavior and, um, and cognitive biases and positioning biases, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all right. Uh, good. Thank you for that. Uh, Paul Young. Yeah. Good morning. Um, yeah. Talking about, you know, people's truth on social media. So, you know, some people don't buy other people's truths, obviously, on social media, particularly in the political context, and you get into the election season. So today is finally um, D-Day on the Supreme Court uh, uh, arguments on the social media cases. Um, you know, these are the Texas and Florida laws that essentially uh, were political censorship um, statutes that prohibited the social media platforms, you know, Twitter, now X at the time, you know, uh, Facebook, et cetera. And, um, you know, it would apply to Reddit and anybody else. Um, the social media platforms um, were prohibited from censoring political viewpoints <laughs> or deplatforming candidates. And in the, again, it all was back um, backed up by the view that um, social media platforms are run by liberals. They accuse them of that, and therefore they censor conservative political views. So they passed these laws. Um, one court struck um, down the Florida law. The Texas law has been upheld. They're all state pending appeal here to the Supreme Court. But they're going to decide whether or not there's a First Amendment right to essentially engage in political content moderation on these platforms. I think that's what the court ultimately will hold. You know where the three liberals are going to go on this one. The issue is just are there going to be at least two conservatives who also agree that um, they perform an editorial function? But part part of the problem is that social media platforms um, publishing the content of others are perceived as by some as like quasi common carriers, and you're going to see that more and more for these platforms. 
And, and it's not just in the social media context, right? You're going to see it everywhere. Part of Apple's problem, for example, is this belief that, you know, if they got 2 billion users or what have you on their platform, people need access to them. They're a gatekeeper for that. That's part of why they're getting quasi-utility regulation under the Digital Markets Act in Europe. And you're going to see more push for that here. You're seeing state cases to make Google Search a utility. You're seeing um, efforts to basically eventually try to regulate the hyperscale cloud providers as utilities. And all of that has, I think, <clears throat> significant long-term implications because, as we all know, utility regulation tends to soften up your, your growth multiples because you're kind of regulated like a utility. It's hard to do here because these aren't physical infrastructure companies. They're digital platform companies. So it's, it doesn't quite, you know, it's not the same thing. But but nonetheless, what you see is this general global movement in that direction. We're not quite there in the United States, but there is a push here. And um, I think the next administration, um, you know, whoever's running the show, I mean, there's talk of creating a digital platform agency like the FTC or the FCC dealing just with digital platforms. So you can imagine what kind of a cottage industry that's going to create for lawyers and regulators in this country if we go that direction. But you've seen a trend moving in that direction. We'll see how it plays out. But it does affect, you know, the growth of all of these big platform digital players who are, you know, as we know, like, you know, a huge percentage of the S&P. But, you know, what goes with that benefit goes the burden and it's just more regulatory pressure. And I think in part, you're seeing some of that play out in the case today. I think you would probably hear some discussion about common carrier concepts applied to social media. Again, I expect that the social media platforms will dodge um, these laws and ultimately be, um, you know, their content moderation be acceptable under the First Amendment, uh, in exercise of their First Amendment rights. There's spillover effect for companies like a TripAdvisor and a, and a Yelp. I mean, they're, they're in this case as well because they're worried if if you can do political censorship laws, can you do other things that, you know, affect how they have, you know, recommendations and content uh, uh, selectivity on their platforms with implications for how they, you know, design their platforms for digital advertisers. So all of this is in the mix today. The case is being argued at 10. I expect it to be at least an hour to two hour argument. The decision will come out at the end of the second quarter. Again, I expect the social media platforms prevail in this case, but we'll get a better sense about it after uh, after hearing uh, the arguments today. So anyway, that uh, that's it for me this morning. I mean, there's so many fish to fry on that. I mean, I, I personally, like, it doesn't matter what I think personally, but I it doesn't bother me. I mean, I, I, I think that it creates opportunity for me. I mean, uh, you know, if you're just going to, if you're going to be in the business of believing bullshit, then I'm going to take the other side of it and make money trading against you. That's, that's what I'm going to do. Right? I mean, there's a book um, that I just started reading this weekend called Fossil Future by, I don't know if you know who he is, but by Alex Epstein. And um, a client, institutional client, uh, sent it to me a little while ago. And it's just like an alternative, you know, to, you know, climate change, like fossil fuels, never. Um, and it's, it's, it's glaring. You know, like if you really look at the differences on, on, on some hard coded facts that I can, you know, that I check myself, right? Like I'm not just going to believe somebody because they write something, but now I have a tool you know, to do that faster. And then on the tool and the tools bullshit some of the times too, uh, you know, chat GPT in particular, which actually Jim Rickard's going to come out with a book on that topic. But, um, you know, I, I, I know that this is not going to be everybody's favorite commentary, but I don't care. I mean, it's like if you don't have deltas on the truth versus the facts, how do you make money shorting MPW? Right. If everybody didn't knew the truth from the first from the time the stock was in the high teens and we wouldn't have made money on. It, right. I mean, it's so um, that's what I think about that. I mean, it's it, it, the kettle of fish, too, Paul, is like the cover of The New York Times on Sunday yesterday. I know that I know this, you know, hold your breath. My 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 wife's uh, my, my wife reads that. Um, but. I just look at the front page um, and I do that actually for most major media sources. I use it as a, a contra signal or a kind of behavioral signal, which I think some people know, whether it be the you know, cover pages of Bloomberg, CNBC, New York Times, et cetera. And it had yesterday a text uh, from a nine-year-old girl. I'm not going to, I'm not going to recap what this thing said, but it literally showed uh, the, 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 the text and you can imagine what this was like and, and what it's being positioned as obviously as a, as a major threat um, to kids, you know, and, and it's like, to me that, I mean, 
that should take take on priority or over over you know the differences between political biases and feelings i mean uh but i again nobody cares about what i think it's just it's just on the front of the new york times now it's not like it's being just bandied about you know in pta meetings hi i'm keith mccullough and i wanted to introduce you to my favorite product at hedgeye the Macro Show. Why is it my favorite product? Well, it's my show. I do that every morning. If you want to get ready for the market day, you want to contextualize all the data, you want to make good decisions, then this is what you should be watching. It's a repeatable process that you can deliberately study, measuring and mapping time series to time series of data. So it's not going headline to headline and getting whipped around. It's actually being so much more dispassionate about it and making good decisions that are data-driven. So we'd love to have you on our team. Come join us. Tune in weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern and on demand anytime. Go to hedgeye.com slash research to subscribe. Right, right. You, you know, the other thing, of course, we've been talking about is these product liability suits against social media, which I know people aren't that focused on. But I think as we get deeper into the year, um, you know, these bellwether cases and this multi-district litigation, um, school districts, and you have attorneys general from various states all coming together and individuals about social media. Um, you know, that kind of stuff could become a bit of a weight as people focus more on the liability risk. I don't, I mean, there's plenty of evidence about addiction to social media and um, impacts from people accessing content that's algorithmically driven, though that can be a harmful and counterproductive and, you know, it, it, there's going to be just a lot more focus on that too as we get uh, deeper in the year because uh, that that uh, that large uh, multi district litigation is moving forward. But is there is there a pecking order to like what topic you go after first? I mean, I personally, I mean, maybe it's because I have three three daughters. Um, you know, two of them right around that age, by the way, eight and ten years old. Like sexual predators like you know being allowed to do this on uh, you know in and and explicitly targeting them on tiktok and and the you know the, the platforms that they're on i mean that's I in the that case way at, that's in the case I mean, how, that's part of the case right there oh it's part of it okay. it's part of it absolutely so that that's that that stuff's in the case um there's stuff about eating disorders uh, psychological harm cyberbullying. um you know the whole idea is that you wanted the algorithm just feeds content that tries to keep people glued to the platform. The, the longer they're on, the stickier it is. The more advertising revenue that's generated. I mean, there's there's uh, all of this stuff is is going to be uh, you know litigated. There'll be an effort to try to to curtail it or dismiss a lot of this. But I I already a lot of that has failed. The social media motions to dismiss a lot of that have already yeah. failed. So um, this, like I said, more people are going to pick up on this. This is not congressional testimony. This is actual jury trial stuff that could, you know, theoretically be billions in damages. Again, I don't think people are focused on this yet and we're watching it, but um, this, the, the bell where the cases for litigating the stuff is going to start to move forward. The sexual predator stuff, um, you know, sexual abuse material, eating disorders, suicide thoughts, all this kind of stuff is going to be in the litigation. Again, that's not testimony before the Hill. This is, you know, actual potential liability risk. So I think people, you know, they're not focused today on it, but I think as we get deeper into the year, it may be something that gets a little bit more attention. Yeah, we'll move on from this topic. I'm sure people have plenty of feelings on it, but I mean, it's like there, there's a hierarchy of needs here in terms of like policing certain things. I mean, but if you throw it all into one thing, I mean, you start to deafen some of the severity, like the things that have higher severity. Um, and I don't know, we'll just keep me up on that because like I said, cover of the New York Times. It's a text about a nine-year-old, I'll say nine-year-old girl, bikini. You can go on and look at it yourself. Suffice to say, it's beyond disgusting and alarming, and I'm not going to keep going about that. Um, all right, JT. Okay. Uh, so I mentioned Friday that uh, uh, congressional negotiators were potentially going to have a, a deal by the over the weekend or even today. I was skeptical and I, I remain skeptical. We're going to be back here, uh, I think, for the fifth time, Keith, this week, looking at another CR, another extension of government funding and or a shutdown this weekend. Uh, remember, we have now March uh, March 1st, March 1st deadline and a March 8th deadline. March 1st, 1st you have four bills. Uh, March 
uh, eighth, you have the other eight uh, appropriations bills. Uh, this is supposed to be the easy one. This the, this first one's supposed to be the easy tranche. And it, it is just tying everybody up there in knots. Complicated by, you know, the Senate comes back today. There's a potential impeachment trial of the, of, uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security. House doesn't get back Wednesday. It, it's a it's a an unadulterated mess. So I think what happens is that if the we don't have a gov partial government shutdown this weekend, that we're looking at March twenty second for an extension. <coughs> Sorry, and then um, if we don't get to some sort of deal by like remember April thirtieth, those one percent across the board cuts go in. That's going to start to be the narrative here soon. I think that the, the, this 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 far right element here in the House and some progressives aren't going to play ball. Uh, they're not going to play ball with uh, a CR this coming weekend. They're not going to play ball with uh, the rest of the appropriations bills. So either Johnson and Schumer move uh, with the bulk of their conference in, uh, in, a, in a bipartisan way, I guess, uh, or the government shuts down or we don't have spending bills done by April 30th and uh, these cuts go into effect. So that's that's going to be the narrative this week. That's going to be all the talk this week. There's going to be a meeting at the White House tomorrow night, uh, uh, tomorrow afternoon with what they call the big four with Biden, Johnson, Schumer and the others. And I don't I don't imagine it'll come up, come out with a deal there. Nothing is going to appease uh these uh the, the 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 two outlying elements here that uh seem to be running the show right now we'll get the foreign aid and the prospects for that later this week but this is a a train wreck coming keith again it could be a partial government shutdown not many agencies will be affected on this first tranche the second tranche is the big one it's the most important one that's the march 8th, 8th one if we don't get to a, some sort of cr by at least mid-march this is going to go back and forth. And I mean, how they're doing this five months into the fiscal year is beyond comprehension right now. So this is a, this is a dereliction of duty to the nth degree. I mean, talk about my screens on consensus media. I mean, you know, begging for more, like demanding for more, whatever you want to use, however you want to characterize it for, you know, Ukraine funding is like front center this morning. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's going, that pressure is rising, not falling. Uh, the pressure on the clock, to your point, is rising, not falling. Yep. And the the actual debt clock has risen materially, not falling. Uh, and these are things that, like, obviously, one of the biggest asset managers in the world will have a call from at 11 o'clock. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it, but it won't be a huge focus because the market hasn't had to deal with it yet. But you take a 1% whack across the board on, on government spending against tough comps, like the which we've reviewed in our macro slide deck, you already have very difficult comparisons. Um, so you're likely to show government spending slowing anyway, uh, X to 1% across the board cuts. So that, you know, it's, it's much more imminent, I guess, all of a sudden than what I would have thought before you start talking this morning. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And, and as I said, I'll get more into the foreign aid situation tomorrow because that's going to involve a, a, another situation. We're going to bring back the dis discharge position, petition term and uh, discuss that a little bit more uh, uh, tomorrow. Yeah. When, when I notice it on these, on these screens that I've built, it means that everyone who's first thing in the morning is their pol political inclinations, which are some of you. In fact, it's many of humans. It's not mine. You know um, I'm using these specifically to know like what everybody thinks is the most important thing, like from these media outlets every morning. And like it went back to back on this from Buffett's son. When I'd you know, I've studied Buffett for a long time, but from Buffett's son standing there with Zelensky with, you know, the amount of money he's given him to, you know, what you see this morning in terms of demands. So there's a lot uh, that's happened here in the last or really since Friday, because it wasn't a it's been it's been a top topic, but it hasn't been the number one or top three things that MSM's focused on this morning. But it is today. That's correct. And I think he's going to be all week. This is going to dominate yeah. both of these. So that's a, so. So for those of you that know, like, I mean, we do have to address. Obviously, that's JT's job. I mean, it's and and Paul's job. These topics are not easy. Uh, it's a lot easier for me to measure and map things with my signal and then quads, but it's it, that doesn't mean that these things don't don't matter. And and they particularly matter at particular points in market and cycle time, as Mandelbrot would say. So 
you know, that's why JT is one of the best at, at putting something on the calendar with probabilities, which is what I care most about. All right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, new week. And thanks for joining the call. Don't forget to check out hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle at hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal tax accounting or investment advice by hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedge is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedge subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedge Distribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.